The following resource is brought to you by Real Life Community Church in Richmond, Kentucky. We hope you're both challenged and encouraged by this message from Pastor Chris May. So I want to introduce myself. If I haven't got to meet you yet, I'm Pastor Dakota. I'm the executive pastor here at Real Life. Pastor Chris, our senior pastor, took a week vacation to rest and relax and to get refueled and refired for what God's going to do in 2020. He'll be back on Monday, but I have the distinct honor and privilege of sharing the word this morning, and I'm so excited. I do want to give a warning uh, to start out. I am going to be using a pretty good bit of sports metaphors. I usually try to stay away from it, but this time I just dove right in. So just hang in there with me if you don't like sports. And if you do like sports, this might be your favorite sermon ever. So we'll see how it goes. But I grew up playing sports. Me and my brother played all kinds of sports. We did that all the time. And I've been on some really good teams. And I've been on some really bad teams. Can I get an amen on some of that? And something that I always noticed when I was on the really good teams or I was on the really bad teams is the culture that was in the locker room many times manifested itself in the playing field. If you had a championship culture in the locker room, you had a championship culture on the field. But if you had a losing culture in the locker room, many times you had a losing culture in the field. It's important that us as Christians, that we walk out our Christian lifestyle and we share the, the culture of the kingdom and the world around us. Last week, Pastor Chris spoke on our Christian attire, what uniforms we put on. And he said things like, when we put on our Christian attire, we should put on holy, beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, forgiveness, and love. And while it's important to have the right Christian uniform on, it's also important to walk it out. I don't know about you, but there was always some people on the team that would just join the team to get the jersey. And they would never participate, and they were just there. Well, I don't believe God saved you to sit. I believe that God saved you to get in the game. I believe God wants you to do something. I believe everybody here, God has a calling in their life. And this portion of the scripture in Colossians, the third chapter, we see Paul shifting from what we are to put on to how we're to walk it out. We're going to dive into that today in multiple ways that you can get in the game. So the first point that I have for you this morning is that we are to let the word of Christ dwell richly within us and among us. While we dive into Colossians, it's important to understand the context. I know we've been going through Colossians for a while now, and we're in the third chapter. There's only four, so we're, we're almost there, if you can hang on. But when you look at the culture in Colossae, there was a culture of syncretism. People were adding Christianity to all these other religions, and there was a lot of mix, mixing of false, of false doctrines. And what, what Paul was instructing the Christians to do was to walk out an authentic Christian lifestyle. And I believe that's the mission here at Real Life, that we are here to equip people to become real followers of Jesus. And the first step in doing that is allowing the Word to dwell richly among us. Step one to do that is you actually have to open the book. It's incredible to me that when you look at the research, I looked at a study last night, done by LifeWay. And the study showed that 9 out of 10 uh, households in America have a Bible. 
They own a Bible. But if you survey Christians in America, only one in ten has read the Bible cover to cover. And 53% of those surveyed said that they'd only read a few sentences. In order to allow the Word to dwell richly among us, you have to open the book. I got some people with me this morning. (laughs) John Piper says in his sermons, just look at the book. Like, open up the book. But I think a lot of the times when I talk to people about reading the Bible, they say, well, there's parts that I don't understand. There's parts that I don't get. Well, Mark Twain put it this way when he said, most people are bothered by those passages of Scripture which they cannot understand. But I've always noticed that I'm the most troubled with the passages I do understand. I've always looked at dwelling in the Word of God as my responsibility is to get the Word in me. It's the Holy Spirit's responsibility to bring it to my remembrance and to work it within me. Does that make sense? So my, my goal or my job as a Christian is to open the book and do the work of getting the Word in me. And the Holy Spirit will equip you and guide you and teach you. That's the promise that Jesus gave us when He said, I'm going to send another that will teach you and will remind you of the words that I said. So step one in getting off the bench and getting on the field is getting the Word of God within you. Hebrews, I almost skipped a good part there. Hebrews, the fourth chapter, verse 12, says the Word is living and active. We don't serve a God that's far off, that's far away, but He gave us His Word, and His Word is living and active. It will change you. It's incredible. I was in youth ministry for uh, the first part of my ministry, and it was incredible when you actually saw a student that was saved and then started reading their Bible. You would see some students come to Christ, and then they wouldn't read their Bible. And it was like the, the roots never took root. But then you would have another student that got saved almost at the same time that would start reading their Bible, and then they'd start sending you questions, and then, then you would start seeing just changes happening in their life. And everybody would ask, what is, what, what's that person doing different than the other person? And they were reading their Bible. They were getting into the active, powerful Word of God. Take time every day to dwell in the Word. The word dwell means to fill at home. In order to dwell in the Word, it's not just getting ahead knowledge, but it's filling at home in the Word of God. It's not about how much you read either. It's about getting in there and spending time with the Word. You can meditate on one verse for a long time. But getting in the Word, spending time. Paul was not only speaking to individual Christians when he said that we should dwell in the Word, but he was also speaking to the collective body of the church. He was saying that we should allow the Word to dwell amongst us as well as the individual. And that's important in the 21st century modern American church where we show up for a group therapy session and then a concert. But what church should be is we should be uh, speaking the Word, teaching the Word, and letting the Word dwell richly among us. That's step one in getting in the game. The second point is to teach and admonish one another in all wisdom. A natural secondary consequence of dwelling with the Word of God and spending time in the Word of God is that you will begin to share that wisdom that God's imparted 
to you with others. It's incredible to see that. When you see a person get saved, then get in the Word, and then start sharing that Word with others as God uses them to advance the kingdom. It's a miraculous thing. But having an outflow, this is uncomfortable, I think, in today's society, allowing the Word to flow in you and out of you. Because he says, not only teaching, but admonishing one another. That admonishing is warning one another, giving each other advice. I'm going to go back to the sports example. I know you are probably already getting tired of it, and we're not even like halfway through, but it's going to be okay. But if you're in an individual sport, you can mind your own business. If you're the only person participating in the sport, you can mind your own business. But if you're a part of a team, you have to worry about what the other person's doing. You have to, you have to keep that person in mind. If you're a quarterback, you are severely concerned with what the center guard and tackle's doing. Some people went over your head. Some people, you got it. Okay? We're good. But you, when you're on a team, you're working together. And as the church, we should be one body. What you do affects the body. What I do affects the body. We are connected. Your individual actions don't just affect you, but they affect the entire body of Christ. Pastor Chris talked about last week, if it's all good if everything in your body is working correctly. But if you have like a broken toe or, or a little insignificant thing that you think is insignificant, all of a sudden that's the only thing you can think about is that broken toe or that stubbed toe or whatever. You stepped on a Lego and you're like, oh my goodness, my foot. Preach, everybody's like, amen, we need a healing service for the Legos. <laughs> but we're one body. We can't live in a bubble. The Dead Sea is a terminus body of water. That means that... Water flows into the Dead Sea, but it does not flow out of the Dead Sea. And because of that, there's an increased amount of salt in the water. And because of the increased amount of salt, the Dead Sea cannot bear life. And the reason for that is because it does not flow out. As a Christian, you could have many things flowing into you, but if you're not flowing out, you're living a stagnant Christian life. You have to have an outflow. By the way, you can sign up for small groups on the app. <laughs> it's a good place for a commercial, nothing else. Paul tells us that when we are dwelling richly with the Word, we should be teaching one another as well as admonishing one another. That means if you're, if you're struggling with something, sharing it with other people and gaining their advice, one of the best relationships in my Christian life that I've ever had was with a man that was 40 years older than me that was a mentor speaking into my life. He's since went home to be with the Lord. But he was able to come to me with grace and mercy and say, hey, you're not doing this right. He would sit in the sermons many times. I said this last time I preached, and I would look at him to make sure I was good, and he'd either give me the you're doing fine, or he'd give me the nope, and that was like, turn, go another direction, stop whatever you're doing. But we need those people in our life to help us and guide us and direct us. Along with the Holy Spirit, we are to do life as a church, as a body together, and if you're living a life out on an island, it's not good for your Christian health. Paul instructs us to get in the game by teaching one another, and admonishing one another with love in Christ in order to build up 
and lift the body. Phil Jackson, the professional basketball player and coach, said the strength of the team is each member, and the strength of each member is the team. Paul continues in his writing by saying that real followers are Jesus. They not only allow the Word of God to dwell richly in them, and not only do they flow out in teaching and admonishing one another's, but they sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness. When I was a young Christian, I couldn't figure out why we spent so much time singing at the beginning of service. I was a teenage boy, and this teenage boy did not like to sing. Um, But I was like, why are we doing this? But for Paul, there was a definite relationship between our knowledge of the Bible, our relationship with other believers, and our expression of worship in song. It's incredible. You see it throughout the entire Bible that they are constantly connecting the singing of songs with our love and our connection with Christ. One way that we teach and encourage one another is through the singing of the Word of God. By the way, we have an incredible worship team. I just want to give them a hand really quick because they're awesome. They really are. I want you to imagine for a second it an early church service. So you're like in the first century A.D. or second century A.D. And you, you'd come into the room and one person would stand up and they would sing a psalm that David wrote. And then the next person would stand up and spontaneously start singing about what Christ did for them. And then there would be a sharing of the word and it would just organically happen within the culture. And that's the type of culture that we want to equip here at Real Life to come together with each other and be able to sing and share the word and testimony and join together as one body. That's our vision here as a pastoral team. You can find singing of hymns and songs throughout the history of the church. The records of Christian awakenings during the last 2,000 years shows that whenever the word of God is preached, it is always accompanied by singing of songs. Bach said, all music should have no other end and aim than the glory of God and the soul's refreshment. Where this is not remembered, there is no real music, but only a devilish hubbub. I like that last part. But <laughs> If you look at some of Bach's writings and his compositions, at the very beginning you would see a JJ. And what that stood for in Latin was Jesus help me. And then he would end them with SDG, which in Latin would mean to God alone the praise and glory. He would start every composition, every song he wrote with Jesus help me because without the help of Jesus we're nothing. And then he would end every composition to God alone be the praise and glory. That should be the heart's desire of every Christian doesn't have to be singing, but whatever he's called you to. Jesus, help me. And then when you accomplish it, to God alone be the glory. During the monastic movement, medieval Latin hymns were sang. During the Protestant Reformation, there was a rebirth of music to the church. During the Great Awakening, 
like to talk about John Wesley a lot, but we had the gift of Charles Wesley, his brother, who composed many of the great hymns that we have in hymn books today. When the Word of God dwells richly within you, you want to sing with great joy. I like to use the analogy of a glass of water. If, if you're pouring water into a glass, you can always add more water until it's completely overflowing. That's how it is with the life of a Christian. You can always add more until you're overflowing. That's how you know if you're full or not. If you're not overflowing, you're probably not full. So when we overflow, that's when we're filled. Then I want to spend the next few minutes of this message focusing on the 17th verse that he writes. And this is like an earth-shattering statement that Paul makes here. I mean, he shifts right here, and this is probably one of the most comprehensive verses in the Bible. And he says, and whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks to God the Father through Him. There are very few statements in the entire canon that are this comprehensive, that whatever you do, it's, it's all comprehensive. He says, in word or in deed. Deeds could be preaching, could be teaching, could be eating, exercising, driving, cleaning, shopping, Whatever you're doing, if you're playing sports or watching sports or watching TV, everything that we do and everything that we say, we have to be careful that we don't become one person when we walk in those doors and a different person when we walk out. We're called to live an authentic life with integrity, with character. That there should be no difference from when you walk in this building to when you walk out of it. That your life should be overflowing in giving God the glory and praise in all of your actions and everything that you say. We have to be careful because we live in a, in a world where we go to work and we do our work things at work. And then we come home and we do our home things at home. And then we go to church and we do the churchy things at church. But we should always be following Christ, whether we're at work, at home, or in church. All, everything we do and everything we say, it's important that our language reflects the language of the kingdom everywhere that we are. And that should flow. And I think many times what happens is we get focused on what's happening on the outside. And we don't think about the root of the issue. And what happens is we become, we condemn the fruit without ever dealing with the root. And, and the fruit are those actions and, and the words that you're saying. And you can have good fruit or you can have bad fruit. But the fruit is a necessary second consequence of what you're rooted to. So as Christians, if we're rooted to Christ, dwelling in His Word, gathering together with people of the same faith, of our faith in one body, and we're singing songs and we're worshiping, our connection with the root of Christ should naturally bear forth the fruit that reflects that. What are you rooted to? How are we rooted? That's free. It's not even in the notes. Thank you, Holy Spirit. 
Paul is effectively saying everything you do and everything you say is to be done in the name of Jesus. Our actions should be a statement that proclaims that Jesus does exactly what he claims that he does. There shouldn't be two messages flowing forth from you. One message that Jesus is Lord and King, and that message should flow through everything that you do. I was raised in a family where my dad served in the Marine Corps, and I was raised in a family where we had great honor and respect for our family name. And if I did something that I wasn't supposed to do, after his belt had a talking with my butt, um, he would tell me, he would say, Kelly boys don't do that. And then if I did something that was good, that brought pride and respect to the family, he'd say, that's because you're a Kelly boy. And what my dad was saying was when I did things that would disgrace the family name, I was acting contrary to the nature that he gave me through DNA. And when I did things that I, what would bring respect to the family, I was acting according to that nature. But so much more with our rebirth into the family of Christ. When we bear His name and we go out into this world bearing the name of a Christian, that we can do things that people that would bear that name would do as a consequence of His seed being within us. Not us trying to work to become His child. At no point did I question my standing with my father. But I did want to be better. I did want to grow. And with a Christian, while we shouldn't question our standing with Christ, we should be, want to grow and be more sanctified and look more like Jesus tomorrow than we do today. To continue to be sanctified. It's okay to make a mistake and repent and turn from it. We're all going to make mistakes, but turning from it, repenting, and, and seeking to bear the name of Christ in the world that is appropriate, that gives appropriate glory to His name is absolutely essential. Absolutely. Our actions should be a statement that points to Him. It's so important. I've lost my spot. <laughs> it's easily observable if you're in a conversation with somebody that's not a Christian that there is a weightiness that comes with claiming to be a follower of Christ. You'll be in a normal conversation and somehow it'll come up that you went to church. And somehow that changes the entire dynamics of a conversation. People, especially with me being a pastor, They'll ask me, hey, what are you doing on Sunday? And I'm going to church, and this week it was like, I have to go study. And they're like, study for what? At work. And I said, I have to study to prep my sermon. And all of a sudden it changes everybody's reaction around you. But that should be an indicator to us how important it is that we be effective representatives of Christ through the working of the Holy Spirit within us. Not only do we have the right Christian attire on, as Pastor Chris talked about last week, but that we walk this out and then that we can join together in unity and build each other up. Will you go ahead and come up here? Or somebody, whoever's playing. I don't know. 
and put them on the spot right there. That's what it looks like when you put worship leaders on the spot. So they're doing an awesome job. <laughs> it is such a privilege to be a representative of Christ in this world. You're not saved to sit. I believe that God has a calling, as I said at the beginning of this, service, uh, this sermon, that God, God has a calling for each and every one of us. For each and every one of us to get, we're not just supposed to sit in these pews and, and leave and then come back and sit in the pews and then leave and come back. But God has something for us to do when we leave this church. I look at church Sunday morning services as the locker room. We're here to get the talk, to get ready to go out to the playing field, to get in the game. You know how boring it would be if you just stayed in the locker room the whole time. I want to go out and do the things that Christ has called me to. I want to live a life that's following my calling. It's so, so important. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to know more about how you can have a relationship with Jesus Christ, or if you have questions about our church, you can email us at info at myrealchurch.org. Real Life Community Church is located at 335 Glendon Avenue in Richmond, Kentucky. We invite you to join us for worship Sunday at 1045 a.m. or Wednesday at 7 p.m. Visit us online at myrealchurch.org.